we will be jumping into the book of Romans this morning. We're going to be starting in chapter 6 as, as we do that. Just a little reminder of what we learned in uh, chapter 5. And the main picture from chapter 5 is this. is It's Paul's explanation of how sin entered into the world. And at the same time, he also gives the solution to that problem all in the same chapter, identifying the two particular individuals that have everything to do with this. The first one being Adam. Adam, who is recognized as being the federal head of all people. Uh, when he sinned, we sinned right along with him, and so we fell into sin. And that's the condition that we are naturally in as we are born into this world. But hallelujah, that's not the end of the story, that uh, God, in fact, sent another man into the world to accomplish for us that which uh, Adam was not able to do, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we come here this morning to celebrate him uh, and all that he has done for those who have placed their hope and trust and faith, not in their own ability uh, to overcome sin, not in their own ability in any manner, shape, or form, but uh, in the ability of Christ Jesus to accomplish for us that which we are completely unable to do for ourselves. So beginning with verse 1 in chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him, the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection." knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. As we said at the very beginning of our study of Romans, what you're going to find is this, is there's a pattern all through the book. And the pattern is this, is that Paul teaches things, and sometimes they're very deep and hard things to lay hold of. And as he's doing that, he's anticipating questions that he just knows are going to come to the minds of people, and very often he supplies the answer to that question. And we see him doing that immediately here in chapter 6. What he's doing here is answering questions that he knows people are going to have about what he taught in chapter 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? One of the things that Paul is going to talk about later on in the book of Romans uh, to a greater degree is something called antinomianism. Antinomianism is the idea that, that some people have uh, that because Christ has come and he's lived and he's completed the law in its entirety on our behalf, uh, that as we are today, that the law really has nothing 
to do with Christians. In other words, we're no longer, in any sense of the word, bound by the law. Because everything is all about grace. Remember that grace is the thing that Paul emphasized in, in chapter 5 as being the bedrock, the foundation for our salvation. And we always remember that grace is just basically totally unmerited favor granted by God to someone who's undeserving. And that's a description of every one of us. So when we consider the plan of salvation and everything that was accomplished upon our, half, our behalf, we have to understand that it was done all by God's grace. Every bit of it. That we haven't contributed anything to it. That God has saved us. And because he has saved us, then we rejoice in him. It's amazing as you consider the way the culture is changing today, and we all know that it is. If you just look at the, uh, the news on the TV and you read the newspaper and you just have a sense of things going on, that our culture really is degrading uh, very rapidly in a moral sense. Uh, the things that you and I know are very, very wrong are very commonly accepted today as being fine uh, in that sort of thing. What Paul is saying here is this, is that we're saved by grace. But that does not mean that we are no longer bound by the law at all. Jesus accomplished the law on our behalf, but that does not mean that the law of God has no bearing or no application for you and I as New Testament believers. Paul is afraid that some people are going to misunderstand grace. And he has this idea that sounds really kind of ludicrous and absurd just as we read these words that some people, based upon what he's, he's written on so far, are going to, come to the, jump, jump to the conclusion that if we're saved by grace alone, then what we need to do is sin more so we get more grace. Now that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But one of the reasons that we're seeing our culture degrading as we are is this, is I really believe this, the vast majority of people today that are having children are not parenting their children. They're just not doing it. And you see people approaching discipline of children very differently today, maybe than you've seen so much in the past. For instance, very often you might, uh, might encounter a, a mother or father that are attempting to discipline their, their children in public. And uh, there's a very wrongful approach that some people take. For instance, I've seen this happen where, where mommy, in order to get uh, Johnny to behave better or to stop misbehaving, she'll say, I'll give you a lollipop if you stop misbehaving. And so she does that, and he does, for a while. But she's not teaching him discipline. What she's teaching him is how you get lollipops. How do you get lollipops? You misbehave. So if you want more lollipops, misbehave. Not do what you ought to do. And see, this is exactly the mindset that Paul is speaking out about here. The idea if... 
grace is the solution to our sin, that we need to sin all the more so that we would have grace would abound all the more. In the next verse, Paul says, may it never be. May it be anathema. You would be crazy. It would be absurd to you to come to that conclusion. If you come to that conclusion, you don't understand anything I've just taught. What grace does is it opens your eyes. And it lifts you up. It raises you up in thanksgiving. You rejoice in it. But grace brings about a desire to no longer sin at all. It doesn't encourage anybody to sin. Indirectly and very softly and very kindly. God encourages us through his grace. In other words, grace or, or thanksgiving is the response of understanding what grace is. And how can you be thankful for God and at the same time have the idea that you're just going to go ahead and continue sinning in your life as you have in the past? It's absurd. See, grace brings us to obedience. It leads us to obedience for the right reasons. It's no longer because you think by doing the law of God that it's making you right with God. You're doing it now because you know it's pleasing to the God who loves you and has saved you by His grace. It's your way of giving delight to Him because of the great joy and salvation He has given to you. That's the appropriate response. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, or who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? When you think about the death of Christ, what do you think about? Well, you think about the fact that he's the Son of God and he came into the world and he lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then he died the horrible death on the cross not to pay for anything that he had done, but to pay for the penalty of our sins. We are so united to Christ. One of the words in the Greek that is used here in this, in this passage talks about a binding together of two. But it's, by, it's a binding uh, uh, together of the two in such a manner that it's as if they've grown up together with one another and have intertwined with one another to the very point that if you tried to sep one, separate one from the other, that you would destroy or damage both. And what Paul is doing is describing our relationship with Jesus Christ in that manner. 
that we are so intertwined and so drawn to him and, and, and close to him that, 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 our, that our connection with him is absolutely inseparable. That he lives and he breathes in us and we live and we breathe in him. That is a description of our unity through the gospel with Jesus Christ. Impossible to separate us from him. Jesus accomplished a number of things specifically that had to be accomplished in order to gain salvation for us. If you took, took, and you think of this, these things as like a link in a chain, if you took any one of these links out of the picture, then the whole chain would fall apart. First of all, he had to be conceived. Secondly, he had to be born. Thirdly, he had to live. You understand that his life for you is just as important, if not maybe even more important than his death was. We're joined to him in all of that. We're joined to him in his death. We're joined to him, in essence, in his resurrection. We're joined to him in his ascension. And we're going to be joined to him forevermore. In the new heavens and the new earth. If you take one of the links, those things that we've just mentioned, out of the picture, the whole gospel falls completely apart. There's no longer a gospel left. But do you ever think of yourself so closely joined to him as that? That if some power tried to rip you away, that it would either destroy you or damage you in the process. It really is the most amazing thing when you consider things like this. That God, this God, as we've celebrated this morning, created the heavens and the earth and created we ourselves. That he's so willing to give of himself in order that we would be joined to him in the manner in which we are. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. And the nice thing, one of the very great things about the God that we know that is our God is a God who knows what suffering is. He can relate to you and I in a way that no other deity that anyone else has ever worshipped possibly can. He knows what life is really like. He knows what suffering as a person, as a human being, is like, even more so, not less, but more so than we ever will. By his suffering, we are healed. Verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Because his death took place and we're united in his, in his death, we're united as well in his resurrection. with our resurrection to follow. We don't know what, the, what uh, is going to 
come to pass in this next year that's almost upon us? Can you believe that 2019 is almost gone already? It seems like just a whirlwind. We've just rushed through this year, and uh, it's almost time to celebrate the coming of the new year once again. And there have been times of trial, and there have been times of tribulation, but there have also been times of great joy uh, that we've all anticipated through this year, and we look forward to more in the future. But do you understand that the reason we can have that perspective and that mentality is because we're joined with Christ, eternally joined with Christ. We were talking about the martyrs this morning in Sunday school because we just happened to come to the passage in First uh, Peter where he, he talks about that in chapter 2, about rejoicing in your tribulations, your trials and tribulations. And I just want to remind us uh, of that this morning that, uh, you know, we, we may be approaching Thanksgiving this year thinking, you know what, you know, in past years maybe I had a lot to be thankful for, but this year I'm not so sure I'm that thankful for much. Uh, but just remember this, that God is a great Father. He gives us always exactly, not, not what necessarily we want or we think we need, he gives us always exactly, absolutely everything that we need. And his timing is absolutely perfect with it. He's never made a mistake. He's never given something to someone that it wasn't really time for them to have it. Hasn't taken anything away from someone that it didn't really give them great value to be taken away from them. He's that perfect loving father who always does the very best for every one of his children. Always. When we talk about sin, there's two things that we always need to remember. And these are two things that Paul talks about. I'm talking about sin as far as my own sin goes. The first of those is this, as we've mentioned this a few times over the, over, over the last weeks, and that is this, is that even though we're saved, we still have sin within us. We don't have to look very far to see it. If you, if, you, if, you, if you just look at yourself, you consider just the last day or two of your life. If you look at it in any detail at all, you're going to see there's some, been some places where there's been some evil thoughts or this, that, or the other creeping in to what otherwise might have been a really pretty good couple of days. So we need to remember that. We need to remember that evil still lurks within us. Paul doesn't say that here, though. What he says Knowing this, this is verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The point he's making here in, in, in chapter 6 is this, is that there's a sense in which we are now absolutely, totally dead to sin. 
As a matter of fact, if you took this passage here that we're reading and that's all you studied and didn't consider anything else Paul said in, he says in Romans, you might come to the conclusion that I am no longer a sinner because sin has been killed in me. It's dead in me. It died with Christ on the cross completely, absolutely. And don't you ever dare call me a sinner again in my lifetime because I'm not one. And if you just read this particular passage and that's all you read, you might come to that conclusion. It's this sort of thing why it's so important that we let the Word of God speak for itself, that we weigh our understanding of things always in the balance of Scripture. The question should always be, what does the Scripture say about this? How does the Scriptures elaborate on this particular thing? Well, in this particular case... You only have to do is flip the page, one page over. You're very familiar with chapter 7 in the book of Romans. Paul says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. We need to be careful and remember those two important things all the time. That there still is sin within me. That's number one. The number two is this. Nonetheless, my sin has died in Christ. You focus on one of those and not the other one, then you are telling a half-truth. When people begin to believe that they really have overcome this sin thing themselves, it's very easy for them to become puffed up and proud and, and, and to picture themselves as being more righteous than all the other people around them. Do you know anybody like that? Is it possible that maybe some people might describe you as self-righteous? In other words, God, in a sense, is less a vestige of sin in us even now. And I think one of the main reasons is to keep us humble. It's so easy for us to get all puffed up and prideful. But there's a problem, too, when we emphasize the other one and not that one. When the only thing we talk about is the evil that still remains in us. Because what that will do very often is it fosters what I would call a defeatist attitude about sin. You'll see this in some people sometimes. It's like, you know, I struggle with this sin. I know I'm a sinner. I struggle with this particular sin, etc. I've tried to put it to death or whatever. It just doesn't happen. So I've just learned to kind of live with it. I'm just going to go with the flow. No. Keep both things in mind. Christ 
My sin died with Christ on the cross. But at the same time, there is still evil in me. That Christ is putting to death. It's dying a slow death. And one of these days, it'll be gone completely. You've heard me say this a lot in the last year or so, and that is this. I really believe this. It's so easy for us to look at the sins in other people. We see them so clearly. But at the same time, very often, it's so easy for us to overlook our own. Because we could always come up with excuses as to why I did what I did or why I thought what I did. And just excuse it away because we know ourselves in a way that other people don't. Other people can see your sin whether you can or not. And in the midst of your sinning, if you're claiming to be all righteous, they're going to call you rightfully a hypocrite. Because that is what you are. We're called to help one another work through sin. That's what church discipline's about and all these other things. But I believe this more than, as much and more than just about anything else I believe. And that is this, is if people will just, just concentrate, look at their own sin and deal with their own sin and not worry about other people's quite so much, that the church itself will be transformed. Because when you really take introspection and you look at your own heart and you see yourself for who you really are, it will humble you. And we need to be humbled. So what I'm telling you here is this is a law still plays a lot of roles in the life of a believer. And one of those is this is to keep us humble. And also this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. It was as if we were right there with him, intertwined with him, bound to him at that point. That's where that word is used. For what reason? So that we can, because we have grace, that we can sin all the more? No. That our old self, remembering that our old self was actually crucified with him on the cross. There's a sense in which that old self is gone. That old self has been dealt with. That old self has been removed from the picture. That all things are new in Christ. Paul will also write in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that unless you, by the power of the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, 
In other words, you're not actively involved in putting sin to death by the power of the Spirit within you. What does he conclude? That your life is going to be great? That there's a place, a special place in heaven for you? No. What well, he says there is, you will surely die. You see, we can't have a casual attitude about sin. We can never get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I'm just, I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. It's going to be true till the day I die. So I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. That is not what God's passion and desire is for everyone in this room. His passion and desire is for us to engage. Engage by the power of the Spirit. And putting those sinful tendencies that we know we have ourselves to death. Being a Christian is an active thing. It's never sitting on your laurels. It's living more and more and more the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yielding yourself more and more wholeheartedly to him, to his will, to his passion for you. That you would no longer be a slave to sin. Do you understand that's one of the reasons Jesus lived and died for you? To, to kill sin in you? Specifically to kill your sin? Not in a general sense, for all people, but in a specific sense, for you. The last thing God wants for you at this time, the last thing that Jesus Christ wants for you is to continue to be a slave to sin. And there's only one way to continue in that progressive direction. That's to continue to look at your own heart. And to understand that you can't kill sin in you, but you know that God can. Understand, we have faith in Christ specifically. He's the center of all of it, but we have faith in other things related to it. And one of those things is we have faith that, that even though sin is this evil is still here in me, that one of these days it won't be. It'll be gone forever. So Thanksgiving is upon us. What are you going to be uh, thankful for this holiday? season thanksgiving thankful for all the food thankful for all the family gathered around and friends the love shared that's all good we take a lot of time to be thankful for your savior Because that is something worth being thankful for to the utmost.